Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. This week, we're introducing our new monthly collaborative series in partnership with Free the Work, which is a curated talent discovery service of women and underrepresented creators. Free the Work is a nonprofit founded by Alma Harrell, whom we recently interviewed. In the first episode of the series, we interviewed Liza Mandeloup, director of the new documentary film Jawline. She talks to us about her process and approach to documentaries, how she stays inspired to keep working, and her experience in the commercial world. Watch Jawline on Hulu now. Thanks so much for joining us, Liza. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So your new documentary, Jawline, looks at modern day childhood and the starvation for love and acceptance through the world of social media. What first drew you to this material? Um, I think it started with me thinking about my own teenage years. um, And I was kind of thinking about telling a story in that space because I remember it just being such an intense time with so many extreme, everything felt very extreme, so many extreme emotions. Um, And but then I started thinking about how um, it must be so different today to be a teenager and to experience all the things you go through but have to deal with all the technology that's become such a integral part of your life. And I just started thinking about how like teenagers are developing who they're going to become. Like they're, sorry, teenagers are like developing their identity while also having to figure out who they are in real life and online. And so I just started thinking about like, what kind of story could I tell in that world? And I started doing research and I found um, these things called meet and greets, which you see in the film. Um, And it was kind of like a snowball effect from there. And I was like, well, I I have to tell a story that takes place in the world of meet and greets and live broadcasters. Um, And I just kind of started and went on the road, really. <laughs> um, curious, what drew you especially to Austin? Because the story centers around Austin. Well, I think I, I actually spent a year um, filming without a main character. Um, so I was in the world trying to figure out what I wanted from a character. Um, I think I didn't, I definitely didn't know that right away. Um, and I went, um, to all these different events and went on tour with a couple people. Um, and I definitely had like a lot of false starts with people that I thought could maybe be main characters. Um, and I, it was essentially like everybody I was meeting was kind of like my casting scout where I, I would be like, you know, I'm looking for someone that I could follow from the moment he decides he wants to become a live broadcaster and he wants to drop everything and give this his all. Um, and I would just kind of sprinkle that around wherever I was. And then someone had randomly showed me him on the app, you now, and we went and we met him and it was like, he was the first person that I felt like was so genuine Um, and that I could really actually get behind and root for. Um, And I felt like he was, he had this like very um, wide-eyed, naive perspective that I felt like if I follow him, there will be a story. And it was just kind of a hunch. And um, you just take a gamble on someone really in, in documentary where you're like, I feel like if I follow you, you will take me to interesting places and 
we will meet interesting people and I can make a film about that. You kind of just hinted at this, uh, but was there anything when you were first tackling this project, did you have a specific story in mind that you were looking to tell or did it really just come, you know, when you met him and that's kind of how it, like, was there something you were really looking for to examine? I think that I was thinking a lot about like my own experience as a teenage girl. And so I kind of felt like, um, I was thinking a lot about how that time you in that, that, uh, I was thinking about my own time as a teenage girl and I was thinking about how it's a time of loneliness and you kind of, you feel like no one is listening to you and no one cares about the things that um, you're going through. I felt like I definitely wanted to tell um, it from the female perspective at first. And I actually had made a short called Fangirl, which follows um, a bunch of girls who go to meet um the same boy that they're all madly in love with and um they were so obsessed with getting to know these boys in a real way like they were like I just really want to know him like I really want to want to um hang out with him and spend time with him and and uh just do normal things with him and be like be normal with each other and those those were like all the things they would say and I I got the idea through talking to them to follow um the the boys because I felt like there was a there wasn't um, there was another side to what they were putting forward. The girls were always very transparent. You know they were who they were and that that was beautiful. But I felt like there was like a story to uncover if you peel back what's behind the persona that they had as being a live broadcaster. There's this one scene where the like there's the girls kind of meeting one of the the dudes I forget his name but then they take a photo and like he puts her his fingers on her mouth yeah. and they take the kiss like take the kiss they, I mean that's kind of what kiss. it was yeah. yeah oh it's called a stage kiss okay <laughs> yeah I was so fascinated by that moment was that something that you just kind of discovered while witnessing all of this actually one of the girls I mean it was a great moment that just happened very candidly because also if you look at that scene in the film the photo the girl is taking my DP is just straight up in the shot because he's facing them and so like her photo just has like this like cameraman like hanging in the middle of it so and she was happy with that like she didn't care what was in the background just as long as she got her kiss um but it was actually in the short that I made before this um one of the girls said that she one of her favorite boys was really bad at the stage kiss and she could always slightly feel his lips every time that they did it and so he was her favorite and so I kind of discovered it before and I was like this is amazing oh yeah (laughs) it's kind of it's like this pg like sort of way of them um getting extra access to them on a physical level (laughs) yeah it was fascinating because it's like showing something it's like the gesture of of it but it's like kind of hollow because it's not actually real i know it's like there's like the action of like putting your fingers like between the kiss i'm like (laughs) it's very i mean but they'll take whatever they can get you know they want to just be as close to the boys as humanly possible you know and even in that scene you could see like the girls like don't want to leave yeah they just kind of linger around yeah I I love that scene I thought that was great thank you one other specific question about the film I was really fascinated by the like the manager character essentially Michael yeah and how intense he was about basically running this business and I feel like that's kind of touching on what you were talking about in the beginning of like they're you know creating their identities as a person and also this identity as like a social media star and basically business. And I was wondering if you could talk about his role in it all. Um, I think that Michael is all about calculations and um, getting the statistics and knowing the business side of it. And he 
lives in that house with all the boys that he manages. And so he's feeding them all of these facts on a daily basis. And so they become more of a well-oiled machine in the system, and they're, they're actually directly responding to what works. Oh, if we pose like this, like we get more likes, and our engagement is up because we just did that. And like they kind of get like direct feedback. As opposed to Austin, who's at the other end of the spectrum, where he's just doing what he thinks can change the world, you know? Like he's not necessarily, he doesn't really understand um, what works and he doesn't really understand like if he's doing it right or not and um, he's just kind of going with what he thinks can get him famous um, and so I think that they're, the, the juxtaposition of those two was really interesting to me where um, you know and Michael I was just talking to Michael today even like and he was telling me about like voice that he represented that no longer that he no longer represents that just like fall off completely because they they think that they can do it on their own um because they think that they have access to the app so that i could just do it on my own but michael is like living proof that it's it's all extremely calculated if you want to make it in their specific world and i actually knew this from the beginning i knew something was up because when i first tried to get access to filming with one of these boys i was like this is going to be easy like i'm i'm on the i'm online i'm on social media i'm going to just dm one of the boys that i want to film with and they're going to like look up my work and we'll we'll start shooting together and every single boy that i looked up no matter if he had like 10k followers or like a million followers had a manager and I was like why is does every single person have a manager and and that made it more complicated to get through because I'm immediately setting up like a business transaction with someone and so it was like I had to go I, I it just made it like it wasn't it wasn't this like direct line but I also was like why does everyone need a manager and like what's going on with that like are they is it legit you know because some of these managers were just so random to me like they had no experience in the world like because I mean the the live broadcasting system is like new so it's not like anyone is a veteran in it and so it was just like a bizarre interaction with everybody (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess speaking of that, the documentary felt very intimate, almost as if we were hanging out with the teens themselves. How did you work to establish that trust with the teens involved? Um, I think that I, I keep everything very casual when I'm shooting, where um, it's not like we show up and like, you know, sit down, like the interview we're shooting. It's very casual. And also like my crew is, is we work together in a way where we're like all friends and we show up and we all become friends with everybody we film. It's not just like, like if I'm, you know, if I'm taking a break for a second to do something like my sound guy is there talking to like Austin's mom and hanging out with his sister. And my DP is like laughing with one of his friends. And it's like, we don't like the crew doesn't just check out when they're not filming and so it creates this space where everybody like is like oh are you here for the film are you here to hang out like we're kind of we just keep it as like not professional as possible and I feel like that and it like ultimately works in my advantage um but I also um I also choose characters that I feel like I can spend time with and I have to like really um care about them or want to like develop a relationship with them um and I think that a lot of the character or the characters that I filmed with that I was like this isn't going to work it was like I didn't feel that way about them um and making documentaries is a chance to like get close with someone that you have seemingly nothing in common with and it's this really weird 
weird relationship where I spend a lot of time with this person that if we weren't making a film, I don't know if I'd spend any time with you ever, but I become like family to them. Um, and so I kind of always think about what a strange thing to drop into someone's life and to become this person that like, you know, everyone in their family talks to or or just like they that they call you regularly because they have to tell you everything about their life but I just like showed up out of nowhere and I think um I don't know I thrive in those spaces of like just finding something totally out of my comfort zone and then making it completely comfortable I think that that's like what um excites me about documentary is like when you first starting out you're kind of choosing um this this fantasy that you have like what world would I want to live in and I can't say that jawline was like that exactly for me like I kind of ended up there by like different circumstances but it was more like I kind of it was more me just being like I want to like revisit my teenage self um and you know docs are personal even when they're not or when they're seemingly not yeah what a gift to like explore humanity in that way yeah I mean I think I did that a lot um growing up like I would just like meet people randomly and go hang out with them and show up to a party with them and someone would be like oh how'd you guys meet and they're like we we just met like outside you know and like it and I worked as a street scout too for a while so I just kind of been very comfortable being a very random person so to people (laughs) so I think that the more comfortable you are like that it puts like someone else at ease so You received the Sundance Documentary Fund grant for Jawline, and it went on to premiere at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival, where you won the Special Jury Award for Emerging Filmmaker. Can you tell us a little bit about all of your Sundance experience? I mean, that was was just crazy. I I think (laughs) I was like... I, I just can't even believe that we got in. I mean, the film was made in such a vacuum. We didn't like do any test screenings or anything. We just kind of, it was just kind of the, in, the intimate crew that worked on it and the producers, the people that worked at the production company or whatever saw the cuts. But um, I think that it was like, oh my God, this is going to be like real kind of moment. Um, and actually, I don't even think, I think when I got in, when we were trying to get into a festival, I hadn't even thought about what comes after that. Like, I just rem- remember making the film and being like, get into like the best festival. And obviously we wanted to get into Sundance, but I, I remember not even thinking about like what happens after that. Like after we got in, I was like, wait, what, the, what happens next? You know, it's my first time. Like, what do you do now, now that you're in? Um, but the actual festival was like, so inspiring meeting like so many different filmmakers and all kind of being at the same exact place where you're all like you don't know the future of your film but you know you know you're here and you're gonna have dialogue with people about it and you're at like the best festival but you don't really know what the life of it's gonna be and you're all really nervous (laughs) so I think that it's like this bonding experience with the other filmmakers and I've seen a lot of them on the festival circuit since and stuff and I've never had that actually I've I've kind of um done a lot of stuff where I I, I guess I don't I didn't really I never really felt like I had like a community of like directors I've, I feel like I'm like on the road a lot with like different like crews and stuff. And I have like a few good friends who are, um, directors, but like to be, um, part of a a larger community of people like that felt like, um, something that I didn't even realize was missing. Mm -hmm. 
What was it like um, watching your film for the first time with the audience at Sundance? Um, it was terrifying. Because <laughs> when we were filming, we were laughing a lot. Like, we had a blast filming. Um, and we were, like, cracking up all the time. And, like, when we were watching the footage, we were laughing a lot. And then when we cut it initially, we laughed a lot. And then something happens, like, a year into editing where you stop laughing and it becomes very logistical and very serious, um, very much like, how are we going to make this? And, um, and by the time we got to Sundance, I remember feeling, forgetting that it was funny. And then when we screened it with the audience, it was like a laugh track the whole time. And then people walking out saying that they were completely horrified. And this, when that happened, I was like so excited. I was like, okay, so they think it's funny. That's great. <laughs> Cause I was just nervous. People weren't going to, yeah. They weren't going to laugh because um, people take docs seriously. And I think that you should take it. You could take a film seriously, but still there could be um, awkwardness and comedy in it. And especially in doc where um, I think that sometimes people don't don't expect that going into a documentary. You first started out as a photographer. Can you tell us about that and what drew you to photography and how it contributed to you finding your way into filmmaking? Yeah, I think um, I was someone that like knew I had to make stuff, but I didn't. And I I loved films, and I you know I wanted to be a filmmaker, but it wasn't like when I was starting out that I knew it wasn't realistic to just like immediately start making you know the kind of films that I wanted to make. Like I needed to be closer to something that was tangible, um, and I also am very like hands on with everything. Like I don't sit and write something for a long time. I don't even research something for too long. Like I kind of just get an idea, and I'm like I just need to get in there and start shooting and see what what it can become and stuff. Or just I need to be with around the people the stories about and stuff. Um, and so it felt like picking up a camera and like shooting was just like natural for me to figure out what kind of stories I wanted to tell and stuff. And then, um, you know, it turned into like an obsession where I would shoot every single day and I would like develop photos every week. And, um, I just had like tons and tons of photos and I started making photo books. Um, and then, I um, I think I thought I was going to be a photographer, but I kind of felt unsatisfied by the end result where I felt like, um, you know, I put all this work into making a photo book that I handmade I, or I, 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 you know, I published it myself, but I did the whole design and I like spent like months like tweaking every photo perfectly. And then I finished the book and I remember feeling like, like how many people see a photo book? You know, it was just such an exclusive thing. And how many copies can I even make? Like it was just, it just didn't feel like it had the power of like, but if you can upload something to, um, you know, online, so it, it has the chance of millions of people seeing it. And I just felt like um, the conversation around the things I wanted to say, I wanted it to be bigger. Um, and I started making experimental short films that were um, you know, following people and stuff and had real people. And I remember someone being like, I think you make documentaries. I'm not sure, but I think this is a documentary. And, um, you know, if it had a little bit more story, it wouldn't live in a gallery. It would live at a film festival. And it was a very backwards way of getting to it where I kind of felt, tried to figure out what is my process for saying what I want to say. Um, and then, what do I like? Like what, what, what do I feel? What is, what feels satisfying to me? Um, and then it was kind of 
it became documentaries. And I think I'm still, you know, now, I mean, I've been working in commercials and I make, I do a lot of branded content and I make shorts and I, I, I'm definitely like for sure a director, but I think that I still have that feeling when I have an idea where, um, I don't like to pressure myself to be like, all right, come up with an idea for a narrative feature. I'm more like, I'm starting in this more abstract space of what do I feel like I have to say? What do I feel like I need to think about? What do I feel like I don't have answers to? And then what what is the best medium to, to explore that in? Should I just get a camera and take photos? Or should I, you know, make a film? Should, it, should I write the film? Or should I make it a documentary? Like, I, I'm still open to thinking about all those different things. Fascinating. I love that. Yeah. Uniting that purpose of like the story and then the function of like how that story can be told most effectively almost. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, I think that documentary is just like a perfect place for that, the, that train of thought, because in the beginning, the pressure's off. Like people, I rem- even when we, we had financing, um, the, the first finance, the first financiers weren't like, tell me exactly where this is going. You know, you get a lot of leeway to be like, oh, we know you're figuring it out. Go keep figuring it out. And it feels like this very like, I don't know, I feel I feel like that's how I was in art school where I was like, that were like almost like the teachers would be like, yeah, go figure it out. You know, you'll, you'll figure out what you're doing with it. And something about being, making a documentary, you, you still get to play like that where it's like, you don't have to come into it being like, it's going to be exactly this. We're going to build the sets and they're going to like, they're going to move from this spot to that spot. You can, you can be like, mm, this is my idea and this is the world I'm telling the story in. But um, I don't know exactly where it's going yet, but these are the possibilities and I think it's going to be great. So you mentioned that you've worked with many online platforms such as Vogue, Nowness, and Days Digital, and in addition to directing commercials for brands like Adidas, Gap, and Chanel. How have these experiences influenced your philosophy of collaboration and creativity? Um, Well, some of it is like like you know what you have to do to survive <laughs> I think that we should just talk about that to get that out of the yeah, way no, I, think, I think that's really interesting too and like how that influences the work I'm just curious yeah because so for example the first year I was making jawline it wasn't financed and I would go do a job and I would take half the money from that job and I would pay for my shoot um and I think that I I was actually the most aggressive about taking work during that time because it had this like immediate function where like if you're not in that space you're like oh I could you know I I could live off of what I'm what I have for a little bit like I was more I was always I was very much like gotta take that job because I really want to go on a shoot that month and I want to um and I think that you know you well okay the truth is there's not a ton of money (laughs) in documentary when you're making one and maybe even after you might not even sell your film but it might be great um and I think that if if you want to make documentaries you you have to do those other things um but I think that you know obviously you should find more purpose in making commercials and branded content than that like you should like the people you work with or the things that you're getting to experiment with and stuff um so I think I have gotten also some incredible 
uh, travel opportunities from doing commercials. And I get to work with the people who have believed in my work um, that wasn't paid. You know, I work with a lot of the same people who when I'm like, I have an idea, will you fly to, you know, Tennessee with me to just figure out if there's a film there and they're down and I'm like, and I can't pay you right now, but I have this job that I'm doing and, you know, I'll, you can you can get whatever rate you want like it's sort of um a system that it all um when you can make it work it works um but I definitely like every time I do a commercial I'm like I wish I was making a film I'm not like on the commercial I'm I there are directors like that enjoy commercials I come off of a commercial and I'm not I'm definitely not like, wow, inspired. <laughs> you know, I feel like I was, def- I was, everything was very stressful. And um, I'm always like, did I enjoy that? Like, I'm asking myself that at the end, usually. Um, and I feel like at first it used to bother me that I didn't like commercials. And I felt like, um, I felt kind of like, is there something wrong that I don't like commercials because everybody tells me that's like what you're supposed to do as a director is make commercials and do all this stuff. And, um, but now I feel like a lot of people feel that way and they do it because that's like what is the, that's where the money is and stuff. So I think that, um, I have like a better attitude about it now where I'm not like trying to make it something that I absolutely love. And I think that when I was starting out with commercials, I would try to make it something that I had to be really passionate about because I'm a passionate person and I feel like I've, I feel like I work in the arts. So I'm like, you know, when someone pays me to do something, I'm like, I should, I'm showing up to be like an artist and to be creative and, um, to express myself and stuff. And there was like, an a, like, you know, it was kind of a rude awakening in commercials where I was like, people tell you you're paid for that, but that's not really what your job is on commercials. <laughs> you guys are over there yeah. grinning. <laughs> no, I just like that answer. I felt yeah. like honest and, and real to experience. And I'm curious like but I have sorry but just to counter I have had some some very positive experiences too where with with a lot of with editorial stuff that I've done so you know like the the things that I've done for like all these different platforms that were branded and stuff there's a lot of freedom in that um so I've done and especially in the fashion world there's been like so much um there's like they they kind of give you these parameters and then they they actually genuinely want you to make something weird and something cool and something really artsy and um so you you kind of feel like you're actually getting paid to do what you do. Um, I think that the other side is when it gets like very straight commercial work and that can be kind of difficult. I guess we're also curious, like as you've worked in the commercial realm, have you noticed any change with like access to the work? I guess we, we know that like there's not an immense amount of opportunities for female directors in that space. I'm wondering if you have anything to speak to that. I, I honestly do commercials because I have to. <laughs> I definitely like want to spend all my time making art. So I think that if I could operate in a space where I do mostly, um, you know, films back to back, that's the dream. Um, I think that commercials are not like I don't I don't sit around and think about how to get a commercial. Um, I, I've actually been like really like lucky enough that a lot of my early short films were through editorial platforms and, um, it was happening at around the same time where, um, 
I feel like it was like branded content was being birthed and like I I was in with a lot of these editorial sites who then switched over to being a agency style and where they would get branded work and so um, I think a lot of my branded content came very organically through some of the the editorial stuff that I did and when I say editorial it's like someone commissioned me to make a film about something but it was mostly my film Um, and then that that gave me some commercial opportunities, but, um, I never chased a commercial and I never thought about how can I get more commercial work because I was always trying to be in the like narrative film, documentary film, episodic film space. So I kind of feel like if someone, you know, hits me up to do a commercial, I'm interested because I'm like, Oh great. You think I'd be great for something. That's a great, it's a great conversation to have. I like that starting point, but I definitely am not thinking about how to, I get more commercial work, but I do have friends that are, um, that are directors in that space and they, they seem, they have like their own, um, their own aesthetic and their own thing going on. And that has allowed them to, to become, a. a um, like an entity in the commercial space. But I think that um, now people are like looking for um, there. I just feel like there's much a, a much bigger awareness of like we have to include diversity. And so um, the there is this like effort to include diversity in a way that feels almost like um, people are worried what happens if they don't include diversity. And it's like this fear has been instilled that has actually been really positive to, to many people. Um, and I think that I know many people that are benefiting from that. Um, and I, I, I kind of question that sometimes where I'm like, oh, if you're included just for the sake of being diverse, um, is that still what is that still good and my answer is yes because you're still being given a chance as opposed to if you didn't go looking for that person and I've definitely done projects too where um like branded things where um they have said we really want to hire um like a large female crew and um a mostly female crew and um at first you know maybe you like naturally your DP doesn't doesn't know an entire you know department that's female and the producer basically says to him well then find one you know and because that's what the client wants or that's what the brand wants and then you know you come out of that shoot and the DP now like has an entirely female crew they like to work with Um, and so I think that those sort of things that I don't know like you know maybe they're coming from a place that is sort of out of of, of fear now a little bit because they feel like they they the pressure is on to do that it's still trickling down to having a really positive effect so you're from new york but now you live in la we're wondering how has that influenced your creativity and therefore your work i think that yeah you're definitely inspired by your surroundings but i actually travel a lot so i think that where i live is more of like a place to reset and LA is actually great for that. Um, New York is like very chaotic and, um, there's no reset. It's just like, go, go, go all the time. Um, so I think that I don't necessarily like need, need to make work about like what's in my backyard. I'm, I'm more excited by like the chase and going on the road with a film. I think the greatest thing about living in LA is the immediate access to the industry. And so if you are someone that that is all over the place and stuff. It's, it's easy to be based here and have access to what seems like, um, a lot of the best of the best in the industry and also just, um, 
the other side, the not creative side to take meetings with and stuff. But, um, but I think that, uh, it, it was sheer coincidence that I had a character based in LA cause we, I didn't even meet Michael, um, in LA. We met at a convention in Orlando and he was moving to LA and getting like this, the mansion that's in the film. And um, so it just kind of worked out that way, which was amazing because it is nice to shoot with someone at home. But I think that um, I think I I I I actually sometimes think it'd be more convenient if I made more films in L.A. (laughs) 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 So maybe I'll try to think of some. (laughs) Um, So you have a lot going on creatively and in a lot of different spheres. Uh, Where do you go to find inspiration and and I guess kind of reset like creatively. I do feel like I live in a lot of chaos because I'm, I, I feel like I keep myself really busy making a bunch of things. Um, and I think that as an artist, like I always find that when, um, when something clears and I feel extremely bored or like very much like I don't really have anywhere to be or something to do is when I'm the most creative. Um, and sometimes that happens accidentally and sometimes you have to create that for yourself. So for example, I remember there was one time where I was like editing something and I went into the edit and it cleared two weeks to be in the edit every day. And the editor was like, actually like I need two weeks to edit and then we'll meet. And I was just like, you know, bouncing off the walls. Like I just have two weeks right now that I don't, I don't know. I have nothing that feels like I have nothing to do. And that's the time where I just get like obsessed and start researching and, um, like watching stuff. And, and I just kind of feel like I come up with new ideas, but sometimes you get really busy and you don't have that space and you have to make it where you have to be like, I will take this weekend or I will like go away and work for a little bit. Um, and stuff. So I think it's, for me, it's about always creating a space that feels like you have nothing else to do, but the thing you're doing. Um, and that is so hard to do when you are just like working when, when you're trying to make money, you're trying to have a personal life, you're trying to make art, (laughs) you're trying to figure it all out. (laughs) And then you're supposed to have all this free time to think of things. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's really hard. And I think that I always fantasize about I look at it like these, like these little like orbs that are, are all these different things in my life of, of, that I'm, I'm just like, when will they all meet up in one place and be happening in like the same space where it's like, I'll be making my money where I make my work and everybody I'm friends with will also be with me all the time. And, and like, you know, it'll, it'll be great. And I'm just like, does it never does, it, it'll never happen that way, but you're always kind of trying to get Um, get things sorted out and I think that one thing that I feel like um, when I went to art school actually that was kind of I think about this a lot where it's a it was like um, one of the things we did was like a critique you know a lot of art schools do that and it's like every week you have to report back what you've done that week and it puts the pressure on you to think about like how you're progressing your work every week. And I feel like that's something I've kept with me where I have this like check in with myself of like, how did you advance your projects this week? How did you come up with something like new this week? Like was, are you any further along than you were last week? Um, and I feel like keeping that with check in with myself makes uh, me kind of put the pressure on myself to be like, if the answer is no, well, you better start working. 
um because creativity doesn't always just like it's not this magical angel that like lands on your shoulder and like you know whistles in your ear it's like you have to sometimes um like look for it like sometimes you have to go and you have to be like I want to do something. Let me go find the thing I want to do and let me, you know, put all these feelers out and see what sticks. And um, you have to, like, sometimes you have to make yourself make work. It doesn't always just, like, you wake up in the middle of the night and you have an idea. Awesome. So on that note, uh, we will end with our rapid response segment, three, two, one, action. That's how we end every interview. Three, your favorite or most influential film? Streetwise by mary ellen mark two dream person you want to work with i don't know guys <laughs> there's too many uh one best advice you've ever received i have patience and action what are you most looking forward to right now making work it, it making work when I feel like I have the opportunity to have people ask me what do you want to make because that wasn't always the case and where can people follow you on social media, et cetera? Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Basically, you can just Google me, find me on something. I'm, I'm definitely alive and well on the internet. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.